0: Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation at aaronv.com. A-A-R-O-N-V dot Making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida. And by... Catechism Class, a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the catechism of the Catholic Church. By Greg and Jennifer Willets. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory. And by Single Player Mode, a personalized gaming experience. The newest book from Truest Dunkworth, intended for middle and high schoolers. It is a book as intriguing as it is mysterious. Now available on Amazon. You're listening to episode 173 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, Jimmy and I will be doing tests that could reveal whether we have psychic powers. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today, as always, is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, stick around to the end because we're going to have our feedback from you on our recent episodes on Pauline Dakin and on zombies. But first, for thousands of years, people have claimed to have strange abilities that go beyond our ordinary senses. Some are supernatural gifts from God or the gods, but others are thought to be natural ones. That is, they're built into human nature. In recent years, these reported natural abilities have been called psychic powers. But do they really exist? What happens when parapsychologists test them? And do ordinary people like Jimmy and me have them? And that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So Jimmy, what are we going to be doing on this episode?
1: we're going to do two types of tests that could reveal psychic functioning. We're going to do one test for you and one for me. Uh, For this episode, we'll be recording ourselves on video so that people can see what's happening. And for those listening to an audio version of the podcast, I'll try to narrate everything we're doing so that you don't have to watch the video. But for full benefit, uh, be sure to go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Jimmy Akin. We'll also have a link in the show notes. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe and hit the bell notifications. I'm trying to grow my channel and I'd really appreciate it.
0: So let's talk about how we went about preparing this episode. You have not told me much about what's going to be happening. Correct. Uh,
1: you, Dom, have no advanced knowledge of the tests we're going to do. I've deliberately kept you in the dark. In fact, the outline I sent you for today's episode has the sections dealing with the two tests deleted, so you couldn't read them in advance. And uh, furthermore, I won't even email you the second half of the outline, which contains the faith and reason section, until after we've done the test. So I'll email it over to you live as we're recording, and you can do the paper. Patron, thanks while it's coming over. I have revealed that one of the tests involves a 10-sided die that we'll be using as a random number generator. But other than that, I haven't told you any of the procedures we'll be using. And that's common in various forms of psychic research and scientific research in general, you know, keeping the subjects as blind as possible. And the fact we'll be using a random number generator will help keep me blind as well, because you're not going to tell me the number that you roll on the die.
0: And what are some of the principles that the listeners should know about before we do the tests? One of them is known in parapsychology
1: as the first timer effect. In essence, uh, people who try to test their psychic functioning for the first time often score really well. Uh, then their functioning drops off, but eventually it comes back and stabilizes as they gain skill. Uh, parapsychologists aren't sure why that's, this happens, but since neither you nor I are practiced Psychics, we could benefit from the first timer effect. We also have another potential advantage because I've taken into account some additional factors. For example, I'm sure that listeners are familiar with the card guessing tests. Uh, involving what are known as Zener cards. Uh, Zener cards, you know, like if you've seen Ghostbusters, you've seen them doing a Zener card test. Zener cards have simple geometric shapes on them, you know, a square, a circle, a star, a triangle, or the famous wavy lines. And the problem is that Zener cards are boring. I mean, who wouldn't get bored guessing one of five shapes a thousand times in a row? it would be incredibly monotonous. So parapsychologists have found that the results are better if you use something more interesting than just Zener cards, uh, something more intellectually and emotionally engaging than just simple geometrical shapes. As a result, for your test, Dom, I've turned your test into a story. And from this point forward, you don't know because that's where your script ends. (laughs) So to make it a more interesting story for you, I've combined two things that I think you'll find engaging. Now, one of our most popular episodes ever, and I know you really enjoyed it, was Skinwalker Ranch in episode number 36. So be prepared to hear the tale of Footwalker Ranch. (laughs) Also, uh, this this tale involves the search for a baby, which should engage Mm -hmm. your instincts as a father. So Mm -hmm. let's hear the tale of Footwalker Ranch. Now, Footwalker Ranch is a strange location where many different types of paranormal things happen. And here in this envelope, I have a set of cards and I've drawn pictures on them to represent the different kinds of paranormal things that you encounter on Footwalker Ranch. Here in the envelope, I have these cards. Now, here we go. Okay, so some of the things you may encounter on Footwalker Ranch are an alien and tell me if my camera's focused it's out of focus actually it's It's out of focus focus. let's see there we go better okay Okay. so you may encounter an alien because it's always aliens of course and you may encounter a demon because it's It's always always demons demons. yep you may encounter a time traveler
0: Mm
1: Hmm. you may encounter a ghost you may encounter a bigfoot And you may encounter the blue panic orbs that can incinerate your dogs. Mm. But there's a family living on the ranch and the family has a baby. Unfortunately, the baby has vanished and the family is so panicked searching for the baby that they've called you in as a psychic investigator to use your intuition to find out which one of the different paranormal phenomena has the baby before it's too late. So it could be the alien. It could be the demon. It could be the time traveler. It could be the ghost. It could be the Bigfoot. Or it could be the blue panic orbs. So we're going to use a process of elimination to find out which one it is. Now, I'm going to spread these out from my left to my right which would be reversed for you. And we're going to start with an initial elimination. We're going to get rid of three of them. So we'll number them one to six. Which do you want to eliminate, the evens or the odds? Uh, Evens. The evens. Okay, so here's one. I think you can see them better back here. Two, three, four, five, and six. So you said you wanted to... Uh, eliminate the even. So there's one, so we eliminate the demon. That's two, three, four, we eliminate the ghost, five, and then we eliminate six, the blue panic orbs. So the, according to your intuition, the phenomenon that has taken the baby is either the alien, the time traveler, or the Bigfoot. Now we're going to eliminate one of these three. And since we're using intuition, you know, don't really think about it. Just go with your gut. Which one do you want to eliminate now? The time traveler. The time traveler. Okay, so the time traveler is not it. That leaves us with the alien and the Bigfoot. Which would you like to eliminate? The alien. The alien. Okay, so you said, according to your intuition, that it was not the alien. It was not the time traveler. It was not the blue panic orbs. It was not the ghost, and it was not the demon. You said it was the Bigfoot. So let's look in the envelope and find out who it was. As you can see, the Bigfoot had the baby. (laughs) So congratulations. You correctly identified which of the phenomena had taken the baby. You got the baby back, and so Footwalker Ranch is safe again. For now. Okay, so for this one, as I said, uh, we're going to use a 10 sided die as a random number generator. So uh, do not give me any information about this. Uh, This is going to be a telepathy test involving both an image and a word. And words are harder because of the problem of left brain interference and analytical overlay. Um, So we're going to be using both the parts of my brain that process words and the part that processes images. So Uh, on your desk. Roll the 10-sided die, but do not tell me what the number is. Okay. We'll actually add that in audio. We'll put in uh, either for the video version, a little thing on the screen, or Dom will whisper it in the audio version of the podcast.
0: The number that I rolled is eight.
1: So you have a number, Mm -hmm. and I don't know what number that is. Uh, Please fix it firmly in mind. Now... To help me out, we need to think in parallel for a few steps so that we'll be mentally in sync. And even though I don't know what the number is, I do understand mathematical operations. So let's think about a few simple math problems and we'll be mentally in sync. So take the number you rolled and mentally multiply it by nine. Got it? Yep. Okay. Now... um, Unless the die rolled a one, you should have a two-digit number in mind. Mm-hmm. So take those two digits and add them together. Okay. Okay, now take the resulting number and subtract five from it. Okay. Okay. Now, um, now we need to find a letter of the alphabet. So A is one, B is two, and so on count through the alphabet until you get to the resulting number. And to make sure that I can't guess it based on how long you count, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to say the whole alphabet. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. So. There's no way I could tell what what letter you're thinking of based on that. Now, think of a country that starts with that letter. Okay. Okay. Now think of the next letter in the alphabet, whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. and think of an animal that starts with that letter. Okay. Okay, now we're going to do the uh, transfer part of the test. So I want you to think of the name of the country and try to transfer it to my mind. And where you're aiming for is right here in the, in the frontal lobe in the area known as Broca's area that, that processes language. So think about it. Okay. And I guess we'll see. Um, now, think of an image of the animal, and this time you want to aim for my occipital lobe back here in the back where it processes visual information. So think about the image of the animal, and I guess we'll see. So is the animal, is the color of the animal gray? Yes. And I'm thinking that the animal lives in Africa, although I'm also thinking Asia, Africa or Asia. Maybe it's Africa and Asia. I don't know. Um, And so let's try for the word. Now, I'm just going to words are harder, like I said. So I'm going to just try to vocalize a little bit and see if it helps me with the word. Um, I'm thinking the country is in Europe. And I'm feeling, I'm thinking in particular, it's in Northern Europe. Is that right? Maybe Scandinavia? That's correct. Okay. So the animal you're thinking of is an elephant and the country you're thinking of is Denmark. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. You had both. Okay. Awesome. Uh, good. So that completes, uh, you know, that that could indicate that, you know, we both successfully did these tests. It could indicate psychic functioning, but there's a lot more to say. So what I'm going to do now, I've got my phone. I'm going to email you. I've already got it queued up. I'm emailing you the second part of the script for today and just did that. And why don't we do patron thanks while it's coming over?
0: All right. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Marcello P., Bo B, Nathan H, Mark R, and Brian B. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at Starquest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation at AaronV.com, A-A-R-O-N-V.com, making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida. And by Catechism Class, a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the catechism of the Catholic Church by Greg and Jennifer Willets. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory. And by Single Player Mode, a personalized gaming experience. The newest book from Truist Dunkworth, intended for middle and high schoolers. It is a book as intriguing as it is mysterious. Now available on Amazon. Now, at this point, I should have received the file from Jimmy. And here it is. And I'm just going to open it up. And it is a word doc. And here I, I've got it right now. So, Jimmy, now that we've completed the first part of our our testing, I, it's time for our theories. And so what theories are there about what we just did?
1: There are basically two theories that we need to consider. Uh, first, that we both just did. Display psychic abilities, and second, that there was some natural explanation for it. So we'll, and then there are also a few things we'll need to look at from the faith perspective.
0: Okay, so let's start with the reason perspective. What can we say about the tests we just did from the reason perspective?
1: Well, for a start, two tests don't prove that psychic functioning exists. Uh, we always have to deal with the possibility that in any given test, random chance was responsible for the results. And in the case of the Footwalker Ranch test, well, the odds of getting a correct answer by random chance would be one in six, since there were six things that could have taken the baby. And one in six is not particularly unlikely. I mean, people roll ones on a six-sided die all the time. So in order to show To show psychic functioning, you need to do it over and over again and show that the odds are consistently beyond what you would expect by random chance. So a single test really doesn't prove anything.
0: And what about the test that you did? Picking a random country name and a random animal name will not have a one in six chance. So there were a lot more countries and animals than that.
1: Yeah, it's true. And some countries and animals are more famous than others, uh, which is also something you need to take account of in estimating the odds. You know, people would be more likely to name America than, you know, United Arab Emirates or something. And so uh, or dog than naked mole rat. So, you need to account for that in figuring the odds. But I agree, they would be less than one in six. So, if you did these tests fairly and if you they could reveal psychic functioning, but you need to do them many, many times, especially the first because of how simple it is. And you need to get results that are way beyond chance to prove that it's something beyond chance that's happening. And you'd also need to make sure that the tests are being done fairly, that they weren't being manipulated in some way. And it can be hard to tell. When a test is being manipulated, because stage magicians can produce effects that look a lot like psychic powers. In fact, there's a whole field of stage magic known as mentalism that does that. Um, And good parapsychologists know that. And they actually bring in stage magicians to help them design their tests so that cheating can't occur. And in fact, with these two tests, a good stage magician could tell you exactly how I could rig the two tests to produce the results we got, because that's what I did. The tests were not fair. I rigged them and I cheated on both of them.
0: (laughs) Okay, so why did you do that?
1: Well, I wanted to make a point Uh, on this show. You know, we talk about the research that parapsychologists do, and I wanted to give the audience an illustration of one of the things that parapsychologists have to deal with, people who cheat on tests. Uh, They have, you know, people have been faking paranormal phenomena all the way down through history. And people have always known that. So there have always been charges that people displaying paranormal abilities were frauds and charlatans. You know, you read Roman historians, for example, and they'll say, oh, yeah, these 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 people are are at least some of them are, you know, faking it. They may believe a particular seer is real, but they'll say some other seer, oh, he's not, he's not real. And, you know, this is actually the explanation for some of the false miracles and lying wonders that the Bible talks about. For example, in the, Deuter- in the Deuterocanonical edition of the book of Daniel, Daniel exposes the priests of Bel as frauds who are faking the idea that the idol of Bel is a living being that really eats and drinks. And what they've been doing is they've been secretly taking the food and that they've been offering to him to make it look like the idol was consuming it. But Daniel cleverly exposes them. He like scatters uh, flour on the floor of the temple. And so when they come in at night to steal the food, they leave footprints. Modern parapsychologists have done similar things. I mean, not that exactly, but when parapsychological studies began in the 19th century, the researchers needed to be alert to the possibility that the psychics they were studying were fake. Many of them were mediums at the time that they were studying. And both the British and American Societies for Psychical Research went to great lengths to see if their test subjects were cheating. And they found a bunch of them were. Uh, To detect frauds, they needed to have knowledge of how the cheating could be done. And they realized that a lot of the fake psychics were using stage magicians tricks. As a result, To this day, parapsychologists, like I said, will often invite magicians in to try to eliminate, you know, close loopholes and eliminate the possibility of cheating. Now, in this episode, we did the hoax or I did the hoax a little differently because, you know, we're not in a lab, but the principle is the same. And so I wanted to let listeners have a sense of the kinds of things that parapsychologists need to deal with.
0: And why did you start looking into this area?
1: Well, as Mysterious World began exploring reports of psychic phenomena, I've been boning up on my knowledge of stage magic, in part just because I'm a fan of stage magic. You know, I enjoy it like anybody else. In particular, I'm a fan of Penn and Teller's Fool Us, uh, which is a TV show. You can watch a lot of videos of it on YouTube, although it's on the CW if you have cable. I've also been reading histories of stage magic and watching online tutorials of how magic is done, because I want to be able to spot potential design flaws in a test I'm reading about. Um, And so in, you know, evaluating parapsychological tests, I want to have some familiarity with these deceptive techniques myself so I could potentially spot where they might be used.
0: Right. we, We don't want to give misimpressions here just because some people claiming to be psychics are fake, that doesn't mean they all are fake, does it?
1: No, absolutely not. Uh, There are many, many people who are very sincere and are not frauds at all. And in recent times, I've gotten I've gotten to know a lot of them. In particular, I've gotten to know people in the remote viewing community and they're uh, the ones I've met that are absolutely sincere. Uh, Some of them have Facebook groups and have regular Zoom meetings to talk about remote viewing techniques. And I've been hanging out with them, Uh, even though I'm not a viewer, I'm not a remote viewer. You know, I've been hanging out with remote viewers and the shop talk among them is not like the shop talk among magicians. Uh, When magicians get together and talk about technique, they talk about how tricks are done and they say things I mean, I've heard magicians say things like, This part of the trick is so deceptive. It's awesome. The audience will never spot what you're doing here. And I know that because I've been reading Magician's web pages and watching their YouTube tutorial videos, and they're constantly talking about deception and how to pull one over on the audience. They even revel in it. It's like, I love this. It is so deceptive. But the remote viewers I've met do the opposite of that. Instead of talking about how to pull one over on people, they talk constantly about how to improve the results of the data they're getting. When they get together, they spend hours every week saying things like, you know, I got this weird result in a remote viewing session. What do you make of that? And I'm having a problem getting this specific type of data in my sessions? What what do people suggest that I do to overcome it and get the kind of data I want? And, you know, sometimes they even have rather sharp differences of opinion about the best techniques to use. I mean, if you want an example of that, just Google remote viewing ideogram controversy, and you will find a big controversy about or something of a controversy about the correct way to use ideograms in a remote viewing session. That's a kind of little reflexive squiggle that a viewer makes at the beginning of the session. So you can see that, you know, we're 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 arguing about the best way to use a little squiggle. They are really serious about this. So in any event, uh, once I now I when I started meeting remote viewers and, you know, hanging out in their sessions. I, I, I didn't expect them to, to not be serious, but what impressed me was just how sincere they are. They really do spend hours talking about how to improve the data they're getting, and they're, they're just absolutely sincere, at least the ones that I've met are.
0: And the same thing is true of good parapsychologists, right?
1: Yeah. They know that uh, people, including many of their scientific colleagues, are skeptical Of what they're doing. And that's why they invite the magicians in to vet the tests they're going to run. That way, they can eliminate avenues for cheating and the results of the tests will be higher quality and people can have greater confidence in them. You know, they need to overcome that skepticism by going the extra mile, so to speak, in test design. And in fact, as we've mentioned before here on Mysterious World, parapsychologists have actually been leading the way in designing new and more rigorous tests. Parapsychological tests are often a lot more rigorous than tests being done in other fields because they know they're going to encounter more skepticism. And so the parapsychologists have been doing uh, things, you know, adopting new, more rigorous practices that others haven't been using at least on the same scale, like not just having double blind experiments, but multiple blinding in experiments where nobody involved in the experiment has the big picture. Um, So I wanted to do this episode, you know, to give listeners a kind of peek inside the world of parapsychology to show them both the kind of things that parapsychologists have to look out for when it comes to insincere psychics and how that improves the testing procedures.
0: I know a lot of our listeners will want to ask, how did you do the two tricks we performed today?
1: Both of the tricks I did today are on the internet and can easily be found. Uh, But once you know how a trick is done, it can ruin the effect for you. So for those who don't want to be spoiled, I won't give a full explanation here. Instead, in the show notes, we'll have a link to a video where I explain how both of the tricks are done, as well as links to the original tutorials I based them on. This uh, video will not be in the Mysterious World playlist so that people won't be accidentally spoiled as they're going through the playlist. You will need to go to the
0: show notes and click the link to find it. Okay. But for people who want a little hint, can you say anything here?
1: On Penn and Teller's Pen Penn will often respond to the magicians trying to fool them by saying a little something in code. It's enough that any magicians in the audience will know what he's saying and it'll give the non-magicians a little hint. So that's what I'll do here. Speaking in code then, Dom's test was partially a Jedi mind trick. That means I used the force a little bit during the trick. On the other hand, Dom has free will, and so there was genuinely more than one way that trick could have ended. When it came to my test, there was some randomness involved, so probabilities were in play, but the 10 sided die had nothing to do with it. In real life, the trick I did ha- for my test has a high chance of working. And for today's performance, I took an extra step to make sure it would work. But for the details, you'll need to watch the video. We'll link in the show notes.
0: Okay, so uh, that's the reason perspective. And I'm going to have to go watch the video because I really want to know how you did that one. But oh, you can record it with me so you can I'll I'll explain it directly to you. Awesome. I can't wait. Uh, So what can we say about today's episode from the faith perspective?
1: Since I rigged the two tests, it raises the question of truth-telling. I take telling the truth very seriously, which is why even in our April Fool's episodes, I have two rules for myself, the two rules I've used thus far. The first rule is that everything I say is technically true, even if it's misleading. And I honored that in this episode. I wrote the script in a way so that everything I said was technically true. For example, I said we would do two types of tests that could reveal psychic functioning. And that's true. If you did these two types of tests enough, they could do that. If you could repeatedly pick the right card from six options in a way that exceeded chance, that could point to psychic functioning. Same thing if I could consistently pick the names of countries and animals in a way that exceeded chance. That could do it. I also said that except for the 10-sided die, you did not know anything about the procedures we would be using. And that's true. I deliberately kept you in the dark about how the tests would work. I did tell you they would be rigged. So I because I didn't want you thinking, oh, this might be a real psychic test and get excited about the results. <laughs> but I didn't tell you how the test would work. So if people go back and listen to this episode, everything you and I said should be true unless one of us made a slip of the tongue and accidentally said something false. What we did was we reserved what we said was true, but we reserved certain pieces of information in a process known as mental reservation.
0: And you said there was a second rule you have for yourself. What's that? The second rule is that I will never end a
1: communication without cueing the audience about the nature of the communication. In the case of an April Fool's episode, we will always mention that it is being released on April Fool's Day so that the audience knows how to interpret it. In this case, I determined that I would not let the episode end without making it explicit that the tests were rigged. And in fact, that's the whole point of the episode to illustrate the fact that magic can be used to rig psychic tests and then how parapsychologists have to take that into account. So my commitment to the audience is that I will never end an episode without letting the audience know what's going on. I may mentally reserve some things up front, which is, you know, just part of good storytelling. You don't want to spoil the end at the beginning. Um, And I may particularly mentally reserve things in order to make an object lesson like this one more powerful, and thus teach the lesson better. But I will always always indicate what is going on by the end. Okay.
0: So, Jimmy, what's your bottom line about what we've been doing here? Stage magic is
1: a fun and fascinating art, but it can be used to fake paranormal abilities, and some people have used it to do just that. Fortunately, parapsychologists are onto this and take it into account when designing their experiments. Modern parapsychological experiments are often more rigorous than those in other fields. And whether you uh, believe in psychic abilities or not, there are many people who believe in them who are absolutely sincere.
0: And uh, for the further for the resources for this episode you mentioned?
1: Yeah, we'll have a uh, link to the explanation video where I show you how the two tricks are done, as well as giving you links to the sources I got them from. Okay.
0: All right. That brings us to our mysterious feedback, as promised. And we'll start with feedback from our recent episodes on Pauline Dakin's secret childhood in the weird world. And the first feedback is a bit of audio feedback sent to us by a Polish listener. And and
1: the lesson is, if you send us audio feedback, it's guaranteed to be used and used first because we love (laughs) audio feedback.
0: We do. We do. And here it comes. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jimmy.
1: I was very intrigued by Pauline Dakin's story, and I must say I didn't expect the plot twist. Also, I have my own theory that is Stan Sears was delusional at first, but later, when he had his clearance of mind back again, he was afraid that telling the truth will make his friends turn away from him and treat him as a widow, a psycho, and even a liar. So being ashamed of his problems, his psychological problems, He continues this whole idea of conspiracy. I don't know if my idea makes any sense. Anyway, good job. I really like your podcast. By the way, Tom, your wife Melanie has great voice. And keep doing what you're doing. Greetings from Poland.
0: God bless you.
1: Okay, so uh, I think the I think the theory, I mean, makes sense. It's it's certainly not unintelligible. I I don't know how I would prove it. Um, My own suspicion is that Stan had a kind of cycle where he would have maybe moments of lucidity, because it's hard for me to think of someone being that delusional all the time. I think he had to have at least some kind or it was likely to have some kind of more awareness of what he was doing when he was faking evidence so i suspect that i suspect that he may have had cycles of lucidity where he knew more about what he was doing and of course in such moments he would be embarrassed to to get exposed for this but i wasn't inside his head so i can't ultimately say
0: Uh, Mark writes on Facebook, such a great episode, had me hanging all the way. I so badly want to look Pauline's story up, but I'm doing everything I can to wait for your second episode for the full story. You have such a great way of telling a story.
1: Thank you, Mark. I, I really think consciously about storytelling technique and how we go through the mysteries. And Mark was obviously writing after the first episode, but before the reveal in the second. And he was, by the way, we got a lot of feedback on the Pauline Dakin episodes. And uh, Mark is emblematic of what a lot of people said after the first one. It's like, ah, cliffhanger, can't wait. But (laughs) lots of people exercised
0: the self-control and didn't, didn't look it up and didn't spoil themselves. Good job. Michael writes on Facebook, in the Midwestern U.S., oranges at Christmas definitely at least have some provenance. Both my parents from rural southern Illinois and my wife's from South Dakota grew up with it. This was another thing we had a bunch of listeners
1: uh, from America say was that they they did have the Christmas orange tradition. And uh, it's also been pointed out that this was more special in the past because you didn't have the truck farming in intrastate system back in the day. And so oranges were rare. I mean, you didn't just bring them in from South America in the wintertime or something. So it was they weren't constantly in the supermarkets. They were a seasonal fruit. And so to get one at Christmas was kind of special, unless you live in California, where they grow in people's front lawns and people (laughs) take them to social events and dump them in large quantities because they can't eat them all. (laughs)
0: All right. Ted writes on Facebook after listening to part two. One question that I had was Pauline's father really involved with organized crime or was that also part of Stan's delusion? This was another
1: thing multiple people asked about. And I I should have made it clear in the episode. Pauline's father was not a mobster. That was just all delusion. He was he was a businessman.
0: Okay, James wrote on Facebook. One question. Was Miss Dakin ever reconciled with her father? Yes, she was. Uh, After she realized
1: the truth about the weird world, she and her father reconciled. But she never told him about it because he was in declining health. And if he knew that this had kept his family apart and kept his children away from him for all these years, he would have been enraged and he was in fragile health and she didn't want him to bear that burden. So she didn't tell him before he died.
0: Tolkien Lewis sent an email, you said your psychiatrist consultant thinks you're right on with what's going on with Stan. However, the word sociopath was used, and even if it wasn't applied to Stan, it needs to be qualified. I have a friend who was a retired counseling teacher who says sociopath is a term misused by people trying to avoid a moral judgment by calling someone evil or wicked. The logic is they don't have empathy or a conscience or the ability to care about others. Theologically, we all have consciences, so the person being described as a sociopath isn't without conscience. Either they have silenced the voice of conscience in the same way some people start believing the lies they tell, in which case they are wicked. If they really have an inability to hear their conscience, something is wrong with their brain, in which case they are insane, possibly criminally insane. Please ask your consultant to chime in. Moral defects should not be explained away by redefining evil as an illness.
1: Well, the person I consulted with for this episode is welcome to chime in if they want, I would say that it's true that moral defects should not be explained away as psychological illnesses, but the reverse is also true. Psychological illnesses should not be explained away as moral defects. And so... I think the truth is is often somewhere in the middle. There are, as, as uh, Tolkien Lewis acknowledged, something can be wrong with a person's brain. And that is presumably responsible for some cases of psychopathy. In other cases, it may be a person has, you know, deliberately trained themselves to be unsympathetic and stifled the voice of their conscience. But in other cases, it may be an organic or chemical problem. And so... I I don't think we can say, oh, we need to banish psychopathy as a diagnostic category, but we also can't banish this person's just evil or, you know, as a uh, as an analysis either. I think we have to make room for both of them.
0: Bella writes on YouTube, listening to this episode made me wonder if an outbreak of shared delusion should be considered for the resurrection of Christ as an alternative hypothesis to mass hallucination. So I
1: I don't think this works. With folia or shared delusion, you have a person who, or group of people, who spread the delusion to others who have not seen it, but that in the case of Jesus and the resurrection— we don't see that happening at the beginning, according to our records. It's not like one person witnessed Jesus's resurrection and told other people. If that had been the case, you could argue it's it's shared delusion. But here we have a situation where, according to our evidence, Jesus appeared to multiple people. Not He did appear to the core disciples, but he also appeared to other people who were not core disciples, like on the road to Emmaus. And according to St. Paul, at one point, he appeared to 500 people at once. So according to the earliest evidence we have, this was not a case where one person thought they saw Jesus and then told everybody else and other people adopted the belief. Instead, we have widespread skepticism as people are being told he's raised. They're not believing it until they see him themselves. So I, I don't think that in this case, the, uh, the psychological phenomena would explain
0: this. Uh, D. Michael sent an email asking, would you please define the term gaslighting You said Stan wasn't doing that, but I find the term gaslighting difficult to understand.
1: So the term gaslighting comes from a um, a play or movie called Gaslight. And in it, you have a husband who has married a wife and he's deliberately mentally torturing her concerning a previous wife he had. He's like a widower and he's trying to convince the new wife of things that are not true. And he's deliberately deceiving her. And at least according to the psychological analysis that said Stan Stan had delusional disorder, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't deliberately lying. This wasn't just a lie. It was something he believed himself. And so in that sense, he was not gaslighting. Aaron sent an email and he said uh, something I noticed about by the way I try I'm a little vague on the uh, on the plot details for Gaslight because among other things I don't want to spoil it for people
0: (laughs) okay okay good thing I didn't uh, fill that in (laughs) so Aaron sent an email saying something I noticed about the Pauline Dakin Weird World episode was that there were no direct quotes from Stan or her mother did the story come out while Stan and her mother were still alive? Perhaps the simplest explanation is that Pauline herself fabricated the stories about her childhood in order to write a fantastical non-fiction story. What outside evidence is there to back up what Pauline says? So uh, the I I
1: thought that there were in our outline some direct quotations from Stan and from Pauline's mother. If there weren't, it was simply because I didn't pick those passages from the book to be read, although I'm pretty sure I did include them. I want to really compliment Aaron and other listeners who also said, could Pauline have just made this up? That's great. I'm so proud of all the listeners who uh, who, who had that thought occur to them, because we need to consider that possibility whenever we're considering a story. Could the person we're getting the story from just be lying? And we don't want to be overly suspicious. Otherwise, we'll end up paranoid and cut off from humanity if we just suspect everybody reflexively of lying. But it is a question that needs to be asked when you hear a fantastic story. And in researching an episode of Mysterious World, I always try to ask that question of myself. You know, could this person just be hoaxing. And then I look for things that could confirm their story. Now, in this case, if I had had more time, I could have tried to go find, you know, contact Pauline and find her brother and say, can you confirm this and stuff like that? I, given the production cycle on Mysterious World, I didn't have the liberty to do that kind of in-depth. Inquiry. But I did do other things. I would uh, do internet research on various aspects of her story to see if it checked out. Like she mentioned her mom working at a hydroelectric center in one of the Canadian provinces. And so I went online and I looked up was there a high, was this hydroelectric center there? At the time that Pauline said it was. And it it checked out. It was. And I do that regularly whenever I'm researching any story. I try to look for things that are mentioned in the course of it that I could verify or falsify.
0: Cheryl sends an email. "Uh, Mr. Akin, do you think Stan may have manipulated Pauline's mother because he was in love with her? A lot of people asked this. And
1: there was a we didn't go into it in the episode because it was peripheral. It didn't really play a significant role in the story. But after Stan said he left his wife, he and Pauline's mother had an affair. And I decided not to bring that in at the time, in part because I'm trying to keep the show, you know, family friendly, and it didn't seem related to the main story. But this is a legitimate question. And my understanding from the story is that the affair didn't happen until years after the deception had been going on. So okay. I, I don't think that the deception was, cr- was, was created in order to set up an affair.
0: Colleen sent an email and she said, while listening to the Pauline Dakin two-part episode, I had to wonder if it was possible that Stan created the weird world as a means to keep Ruth and the kids close to him. It seems possible to me that a slightly older man who always wanted to help people would have sympathized with a young family who had a single mother and largely absent father and may have wanted to step into the father role. Yeah, this is kind of a variation of the former, only it's a different emotional
1: connection rather than having an affair. It's it's a question that's worth asking. But again, my understanding is that this deception began in a way that doesn't suggest that. And it wasn't just Pauline's family because Stan convinced his wife Mm-hmm. That all of this was real too. And she, uh, and, and, you know, it wasn't just targeted on the Dakin family, it was broader than that.
0: Okay. Uh, That's all the feedback we have right now on Pauline Dakin. And now for our feedback from our Zombies episodes, uh, All Is Grace sent a comment on YouTube and said, I'm glad you covered this. I was into voodoo in the States for about three years of my over a decade in neo-paganism before my conversion. So I was knowledgeable about Haitian zombies, but I think few are. And I was very interested in hearing your faith and reason perspective. Thank you all is grace and
1: um glad you appreciated it and indeed I uh one of the purposes of our show is to spread information that's not as commonly known about mysterious subjects.
0: Keaton sent a comment on YouTube. You got to do an episode on premature burial.
1: Yeah, we had several people advocating an episode on premature burial. I don't know, I mean I don't know how I could get a full-length episode out of that. I mean, I could just tell one story after another where it happened, but I don't know that that would be particularly enjoyable listening. <laughs> um, a what I what I may do though is find a way to frame it in a larger context. One of the things I've thought about is doing mini mysteries, where I maybe take several small mysteries and and put them in a single episode or i may be i may be able to connect premature burial to a larger mystery and do a show on that that then has an element on a segment on premature burial in it
0: mrs cracker on youtube wrote my daddy's buried in port-au-prince beyond worrying about grave robbing and zombies it's pretty common for cemetery monuments to be pilfered altered and resold a relative had no luck finding my daddy's grave so that's a possible explanation poor haitians actually sleep in empty family tombs Yeah, it's things are really hard there. And I am so sorry
1: that uh, your relative uh, had no luck finding your father's grave. And mm, the implication is maybe, maybe the tomb got taken or something. Mm -hmm. And so that would be terrible if that happened.
0: Uh, Mrs. Cracker had a second comment that she added. I had family living in Haiti during the Duvalier regimes, and if you weren't a political threat to Papa Doc, things were actually much better back then than the chaos today. Perhaps that's not saying much, but we had friends there who had businesses and a fairly decent life. You just had to completely stay away from politics. Yeah, that's one of
1: the really hard things. Sometimes oppressive regimes, I mean, because they're oppressive, they can create order. And sometimes that's better than the chaos that follows them. The trick is to find a way through history that allows one to have order without it being oppressive.
0: Brooke wrote on YouTube, wow, what an episode. Excellent analysis of the causes of zombification. The idea of any community doing this to punish a wayward individual is extremely chilling. Talk about cruel and unusual. I can't wait for Jimmy's take on voodoo as a whole. And we will be doing a future episode on voodoo. Uh, Kevin wrote on Facebook, do you think that zombies could have been a kidnapped victim that's been forced and become addicted to a drug such as heroin? That addiction is what keeps them wanting to do the bidding of their master because they have the drug to keep them satisfied. Um, I think that it's possible now in people
1: can get kidnapped and forced onto drugs in other situations without them being classified as zombies, but that's possible. In this case, the I don't know that the drug would be heroin, because heroin is going to be expensive, because it's, <clears throat> it's an illegal substance that has a market, and that market is going to drive the price up. I suspect whatever substance may be used to, or substances that may be used to keep zombies in check, there's not an independent market for those substances. It's Something that the Bocors are going to be making uh,
0: Jeffrey sent an email. I'm wondering if there's a connection between the TTX hypothesis and the low sodium diet and we should explain uh,
1: TTX is an abbreviation for tetradotoxin, which is a toxin that comes from puffer fish, which are native to the waters not just around Japan but around Haiti. And TTX is reportedly one of the active ingredients in the zombie powder that's used to simulate death before the person is revived as a
0: zombie. Uh, And he continues, sodium channels in the cell membrane of nerve cells play an essential role in the proper functioning of these cells, allowing sodium to move from the outside of the cell where there's a lot of sodium to inside the cell where there is much less sodium. TTX inhibits the function of these sodium channels. Restricting dietary sodium via salt restriction may lead to a decrease in sodium outside of the nerve cells, which could make the effect of TTX more pronounced. Conversely, giving salt to someone mildly poisoned with TTX may help to counteract the poison's effects. Interested
1: in your thoughts? Well, I'm not, uh, I don't have an extensive knowledge of biochemistry, but um, taking all that as given. It's an interesting hypothesis. However, TTX is thought to have been used in, is thought to be used in the initial zombification of a person where they seem to die and then are brought back. And the salt-free diet that's given to zombies is used after that. And it's hypothesized that there's a second drug that's used to keep someone mentally off balance while they're being used as a zombie. And that is not known to or not thought to involve TTX. It could. That could just be something that's not reported. I mean, the Bocors aren't exactly gushing with information about their illegal activities. And when they do say, oh, yeah, I use that, it, they may not. They may be lying. But it's an interesting possibility. It's also possible that, uh, that sodium could interfere with some other element besides TTX that's used in the second zombie drug. And, uh, and it, it also could be, as, as the author we quoted in that episode hypothesized, a way to signal the bokor that he's eating the wrong food if it suddenly tastes really bland and he's eating the zombie food and needs to stop because of the drug in it.
0: Well, thank you, everyone, for your feedback. That's been great. Uh, Let's move on to our mysterious headlines. So uh, this week in Mysterious
1: Headlines, we have a substances theme, perhaps not inappropriately, given we were just talking about TTX. The two substances in question this time, though, are coffee and ice. We will have a link to a video about how you might be able to use coffee naps to help you and the basic idea is you take a shot of caffeine right before taking a nap, and then by the time you've had the nap, the uh, as the caffeine is entering your system, it'll actually help you feel more rested than if you had done either the nap or the coffee by itself. So there may be a synergistic effect here, and you can watch the video for more information about that. Also, there are bunches of different types of ice, and hopefully no one will ever develop ice nine because Kurt Vonnegut has a novel about that. <laughs> uh, if I remember right, it's Kurt Vonnegut. But they have invented bendable ice, and it is really interesting and freaky. So, check out the link and see how far they can actually bend the ice. It's like a looks like kind of like a guitar string.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, let's uh, move on and. In- Right now, I want to ask the listener, what are your theories about testing psychic phenomena? We'd love to get your feedback and share it in a future episode. And you can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page. You can send an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to at mys underscore world. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week, we're going to be telling you the story of the
1: Greenbrier ghost in which a woman dies and then comes back and helps convict her own murderer in court. All right.
0: Folks, remember to like this episode where you find it on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter, like it on YouTube, all the places. And you can find links to the resources that Jimmy mentioned in our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines in our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. And remember to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. If you've enjoyed Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, you'll also enjoy another StarQuest network show, The Secrets of Technology. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com technology.